Welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on one of my best friends in the business, Nick Petraglia. And Trag's got his start, grew up in the great city of Pittsburgh before heading over to Shattuck St. Mary's as a goaltender in prep school where he won a national championship. After that, he went to Miami for a nice little 20-year stint where he went from player to director of hockey operations to assistant coach to administrator, and now he is a part of the AAA Columbus Blue Jackets leading the charge for them in the youth hockey game. One of the best people in the business, and that is certainly a theme that you will hear on this podcast today. But before we do get over to Trags, let's bring on another good people in Jeff Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today, man? Not much, brother. Having a great day, and we can't lie to you. Had uh had a bunch of the boys in the gym today. And then uh you remember Bryce Salvador? Yeah, absolutely. That name? Dude, had a great call with him. New Academy, he's running out in New Jersey. And man, he's He's on to some next level stuff and I'm, I, I'm going to help him out with some stuff with some off ice training for, for the Academy and the things that he went through with his concussions and learning about the vestibular system and balance and proprioceptors and how important all of those things are, uh, and how they can help young athletes be so much better on the ice by focusing on them. Like he, Working with this doctor out there, like it's some next level stuff that is really cool. So I had an hour long call with him that just got me like so excited about all the things that like I kind of already incorporate into into what I do. But uh, just really cool to talk to a guy who's so passionate about helping 11 and 12 year olds and 13 year olds. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's just really cool that a captain in the NHL is now doing that. So cool guy, cool guy. Absolutely. So here's a little, little lesson for all the people out there who want to get into the hockey business, if that's what you want to call it. So I had heard that about Salvador before and, um, heard about some of the things that he's doing out in New Jersey. And and obviously he's got a very decorated hockey career as well. And, uh, like, this is something that I encourage all people to do, man. Like I got his number from, it might've even been you, but I got his number from somebody and I just texted him. I said, Hey, I love the stuff that you're doing. I'd love to pick your brain. And just reached out to him, called him, had about an hour long conversation. We talked hockey and talked a bunch of different stuff and I got better for an hour. And, uh, <laughs> like if, if you want to get, well, Hey man, like that's this, this business is about growth and this business is about relationships. And when you can find people that are going to challenge you and make you better and you can build some of those relationships, that's, that's what you got to do. And so, uh, yeah, I remember having the conversation with him, never spoken to him before. He had no idea who I was, but I just kind of reached out and said, Hey, (laughs) you know, I'd love to pick your brain. And I think a little bit through the conversation, he figured out that I actually half knew what I was talking about. (laughs) So, um, it was, uh, it was awesome. He's a really good dude and he's doing some really next level stuff for sure that's awesome wow wow i already knew he was a great guy I skated with him uh when i was like in juniors or college when he was playing for the blues here and was always super nice to us younger guys and now he's doing this stuff and i've kind of befriended him and dude that is so cool like what what like that makes me like him even more all right i'm all in 
<laughs> tell him I'm a halfway decent human being too. I'm not some weirdo just trying to freaking call him up and uh, oh, gain all this me. knowledge. He knows. he knows. He's listened <laughs> to the podcast. He's stalked our Twitter. Trust me. We talked all about it. So that's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, another good dude is Trags. How'd you enjoy this conversation? I loved all of it except the pre-show when we were talking and he immediately brought up just like one of my worst college hockey memories, losing (laughs) in overtime to Miami and he was coaching there. So like, that's the first thing he, oh yeah, can't believe I never met before I was coaching Miami. Remember that game? And I was like, yeah, dude, I remember. Thank you. Um, But no, awesome guy clearly cares a lot about, uh, you know, the people he works with in hockey and, and you, um, yeah, you had a lot of really good things to say and got a little emotional there for a minute. You could see on both your faces. Uh, it was just really cool, really cool episode. Yeah. I mean, he's been, when I got the job at Miami, uh, in 2010, was it? So 10 years ago, whatever it is now. Yeah, it was 10 years ago. Cause I literally got married and three days later, packed up a U-Haul and moved to Oxford, Ohio with them. <laughs> and so, um, I, I should say, I don't think I said this on the last podcast episode, but, uh, M and I 10 year anniversary just last week. So congratulations to us making it 10 years. Um, so awesome, awesome stuff. And it's actually should say congratulations. You turn 35 tomorrow. We are, uh, we are recording this on a Wednesday. And so happy birthday to Jeffrey Lavecchio turning 35. So how you feeling? Old balls, loose skin. <laughs> gross. That's how I feel. No, I feel young as ever. I feel great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Appreciate Love that. Love that. So, uh, but going back to track. So, you know, him and I, uh, go way back 10 years and uh, I, I can't, we talk about it on the podcast, but I can't even begin to describe how well I was treated as a volunteer graduate assistant that year that I was at Miami and the, the type of responsibilities that they gave me right away. And, and Trags was kind of like the younger assistant coach on staff. It was his first year as a full-time assistant coach. So him and I bonded really well. And, and, uh, I think we're pretty similar in the fact like every, when I think about Trags, I think about like the best versions of what I want to be. Like he's so passionate and he's so positive at all times. And it's, it's really awesome to be surrounded by those kinds of people. But him and I have gone through a lot, you know, like being an assistant coach in college, there's a lot of ups and downs to it. And him and I have been each other's sounding boards for some of the good and some of the bad. So we've had a lot of you know, really awesome, fun conversations, had a lot of tough conversations, a lot of deep conversations about hockey, about life and all that kind of stuff. And I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while now, and I'm, I'm glad that we finally got to get him on. And I think our listeners are going to uh, get a real good glimpse of how awesome of a dude he is and, and just so, so great to have people like that in the hockey world. Yeah. I mean, totally. You can tell that he's passionate and he's, he's worked a bunch of different jobs, avenues in the hockey world. And I think it's really important for, you know, we've talked about this over and over. You don't need to have played at a high level or coached at a high level to get into the youth game and make a positive impact. You don't, but it definitely helps. And for somebody to have, you know, the, the, the last 20 years, like you talked about in college hockey, and then he's coming to a youth organization to kind of lead it. I mean, that's just going to be invaluable to Columbus. That's really exciting. And, you know, he's going to do some great things and open a lot of minds for the parents and the kids there to show them like, Hey, like if you want to get to whatever level or the next level, whatever that is for you, like 
these are the things that I've seen guys do for the last 20 years on top of what I had to do. Like I've seen it over and over and over. I've seen the guys who've succeeded and I've seen the guys who haven't and I know why. And now I can tell you and kind of give you that blueprint. And that is so massively important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Nobody wants to listen to me though. So hopefully they listen to him. (laughs) JK kind of, um, but uh, before we do get over to tracks, I actually wanted to bring something up on the podcast um, because my wife and I, we were having a uh, – my lovely bride of 10 years. We were having a conversation earlier and we were just talking about a bunch of different stuff. And um, we were talking about a couple different things that we feel like are really important for like the youth of today and and how – like we got, like she kind of works in consulting a little bit and, and I've been around and seen a bunch of different organizations and programs with my team building stuff. And, you know, one of the things that we were talking about how like a lot of problems occur within teams and a lot of problems occur within programs and organizations have to do with like a lack of communication and a lack of like having the ability to handle conflict you know what I mean? So those two things were the things that I talked about. And I thought it was really interesting because as we were talking about it, I was thinking about kind of like the kids coming up today and how communication is not something that is being valued. You know, the kids are on their phones and they're on their devices all day and, and they're not really, they're communicating through text. They're communicating through, you know, social media and, and that, that face-to-face important, powerful type of conversation is not really something that's being really brought to the forefront and emphasized a lot. You know what I mean? And then on the other side of things, like you talk about the ability to handle conflict, I mean, you talk about the way that the helicopter parents are, are parenting a lot of people nowadays and, and not allowing their kids. And we talk about it all the time to handle the conflict on their own and have to figure it out and battle adversity and, and build that resiliency muscle. And it just was like it was a really big eye opener, just the conversation we were having on how important those two things are and how like intentional we have to be in today's day and age as coaches or teachers or parents or mentors or whatever to really teach our kids those things because that's how you solve problems. Like life is all about problem solving. We talk about it all the time and you solve problems by having the ability to to deal with conflict and criticism and, and, you know, and and then communication, you have to be able to communicate clearly and you have to be able to get on the same page by talking things out and, uh, it's just, I, I feel like my job as a, as a coach now, and even as a parent now as well, those are two things that I feel like I really need to think a lot more about. And we need to think more about what, what are your thoughts on, on those things? Just an interesting conversation that we were having that I wanted to bring up with you. Yeah. It's really funny that you bring that up. I, uh, on my Instagram at Joe Flavacchio, I, uh, <laughs> I reposted or on my story or whatever you call it on Instagram, David Goggins. I'm sure you know who that is. Have you read his book? I haven't. No, no, I haven't either. I was waiting for you to read it and give me the cliff notes, but (laughs) get on that. Uh, (laughs) But I've heard his book is insanely uh, uh, influential. It will help anyone. What's the book called? Um, I honestly don't know. He only has one. Um, but I've watched him. I've watched him on a podcast. I was driving back from Kansas city. I watched, uh, well, I had it on. I shouldn't say I watched. Uh, dangerous. Uh, but I had it on for like two hours, and then I watched him on Joe Rogan uh, last week, and I've watched him on a bunch of different interviews. And 
he's all about mindset. And yes, he's like so far and so like out there with his intensity, but basically his message boils down to like, you need to be resilient. Like you got picked on, like find a way around it. And, and he almost comes off as insensitive, but he's not, he's just saying like, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Nobody like you got to find a way, figure it out. And it was kind of a funny video, but it was also like, you know, it was true. Like, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and like help yourself and find a way to do it, find a way to get help and build that resiliency, build that mental toughness. And that's like what he's all about. And that's what he preaches. It's pretty much kind of goes along with what you're saying. And it's so true, man. Like I, it's very hard. It's very, I'm, I can't even imagine watching your kid fail or get cut. Like it's gotta be hard, but also you gotta try, try and step back and be like, listen to the people who've been cut before you, me on this podcast, Patrags. like it's good for kids sometimes to have that stuff happen. And you got to be there to foster and nurture the growth from the setbacks. So that they become setups and you constantly got to be thinking that way. I think as a coach or a parent and not immediately attack everyone else. Well, Johnny should have made the team because I think he's the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I have, I just looked up the book is called can't hurt me. And I actually, I'm not even kidding you. I have it on my book stand. Somebody got it for me as a gift. So oh, I will oh. have to put that on my, uh, I'll have to move it up to one of the next ones that I read. It's supposed um, to be amazing. Yeah. So I'll, I'll get on that and I'll give you the cliff notes. <laughs> um, Thanks, bro. But you, so you're talking about like the adversity side of it. I think the other side of it too, like being able to handle conflict that's with other people have to be able to handle conflict with other people. And like Em and I, Em's actually really good at this because Lucy's getting to an age right now. So I have a three-year-old and then Luce turns, she was born a day after your birthday. So she turns one in, in just a couple days here. And she's getting to that age now where she's starting to kind of get it a little bit and she's interacting with Paige, the three-year-old. And so like they'll start to fight over a toy or one of like Paige will be pissing Lucy off or something or whatever. And I'll like go to kind of like try and step in and Em's like, no, like let them handle it. She's fine. Like, you know, and it's like, Oh yeah, you're right. That's good. <laughs> and that's not to say like, I mean, geez, like this is not parenting one-on-one or anything. I mean, we got a three-year-old and the one-year-old, we have no idea what we're doing, but it's just, uh, sometimes it's hard to not, like you're saying, it's sometimes it's hard as a parent, the thing that you love the most to watch them suffer or allow them to suffer or allow them to handle their problems in the way that they want to handle their problems with. And it might not be the right way. They might, get into a fight and punch somebody in the face and that's not the right thing to do. But Hey, you know what? They're going to learn how to maybe communicate the next time because there's going to be a consequence with it and, and not always stepping in when the kid has to handle conflict with somebody else. I think that's huge. And, and again, in the team, like every team we've ever been on, you've had those leaders that have been able to step in and, and handle the conflict, right? They, they're not afraid to approach a teammate and tell them what they think. That's like an unbelievable skill that is being lost today. And you look at a lot of dysfunctional organizations, like they don't have those communication skills or those communication loops to be able to figure things out and all get on the same page, which at the end of the day, that's what you need to have as a team. You all have to be on the same page and buy in and everything. So it's just, it was an interesting conversation that we had between the two of us. And, and I thought it would be really interesting to kind of hear your point of view and what you think on the podcast. I think it'd be good kind of back and forth because I think it's, you know, it's kind of what our podcast is about. It's just trying to figure it out and, and not like we have the answers, but to be able to have this kind of dialogue and hopefully people can 
empathize and, and I'm sure they've had a lot of different experiences when it comes to these things as well. We're just talking about it. Maybe it sparks a thought that they didn't have before and a new avenue to go about it. So like talking about it is huge, 100%. And you're right, being that guy in the locker room who's going to not call teammates out because that sounds like negative, but, you know, positive, negative, whatever, you know, call themselves out. Like, I feel like, I mean, I've only been in youth hockey two years, so, um, but, you know, I I don't see it a ton. Uh, And when I do, I absolutely love it and I I applaud it. And I think every guy on the team can do it at different times, but you got to be able to look in the mirror and say, and I'm doing everything I can before you can go up to somebody else and say, Hey, you know, I think you can pick it up here. Like, Hey, like you have an, an okay day. Like you just kind of know you got to practice it. You got to, and and, and also, and also receiving that communication too. So hard. That's, that's the other part of it because in a communication loop, there is the person that is talking and then there's the person that is listening and what they're taking from what that person is talking. So being an active listener and being able to process things and being able to process your emotions. I mean, I think that's a big thing too, because communication can be emotional. It can elicit a lot of positive or negative emotions based on whatever the communication is. And, uh, and I sort of like in, in all the research that I've done in, in reading and then being able to get the chance to do all the team building, like communication, honestly, it's the oxygen of every team. Communication is everything. And if you have good communication from coach to player and from player to coach, and you, if you have good communication between player to player and, and, and back, I mean, that's, that's such an important thing and allowing kids to, to grow through that communication and understand and solve their own problems and learn how to do it. I just think that's an art that's kind of being lost nowadays. Um, but I, I think it's something that we're doing our kids a, a huge disservice if we're not allowing them to, to figure that out. I 100% agree. Cause it's going to happen in the working world. It's going to happen in college. It's going to happen in junior hockey and the better you can prepare them to not fend for themselves, but to figure it out on their own and not just call mom and dad, you know, it's, it's extremely important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just a interesting, interesting talking point and, and, uh, conversations are making me better. Cause you like, you always want to go back to, you understand how important communication is, but sometimes you, you forget about that, you know, or you don't put as much stock into it and, and emphasis into it as, as you need to. So, um, good stuff, man. Well, let's get over tracks. What do you say? Love it. Great, man. <laughs> um, before we do get over to Trags, want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor. Thank you for your support. Go to GELSTX.com for some weighted training aids. Thank you to Train Heroic, Jeff's awesome app that you can get all of his workouts on. And uh, it's real fa- uh, real easy, real clean. Even Jeff can use it. So he's <laughs> Mr. Technology. So uh, on your phone or on your iPad or whatever device you have, you can download the Train Heroic app and find Jeff's uh, Jeff's workouts and make you better. How many, how many people you got signed up for your workouts now? Well, I had like over I don't know, 615, 620 use it at, at least at one time or one, yeah. one, um, you know, program or whatever it was. So that was pretty cool. 
Awesome, man. Awesome. And then last but not least, and, and the most important thank you of every one of our episodes is thank you so much to all the listeners for the support that you continue to give us for 120 some odd episodes into this thing here. And, and, uh, we appreciate you guys so much. And, and if you can, if you think we're doing a good service for the hockey world, please continue to share us with your groups on social media or your email groups or your parent groups or whatever. Um, if, if anybody can learn something from the perspective that, that either we have or our awesome guests have to, to help make the, uh, the youth hockey world or the higher level hockey world a little bit easier for you. Um, that's why we do this. So, um, if you can just please continue to share us and, and shoot us ratings on iTunes and Apple podcasts and, and reviews so we can get better as, as podcast hosts as well. Uh, that stuff goes a long, long way for us. So we really, really appreciate all of your support. I think you guys are going to absolutely love this podcast episode here with one of my best friends in the world, Nick Petraglia. So without further ado, let's head it on over to Trags Petraglia. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, he's already got a few barbs in to my partner, Jeff Lavecchio, before we even started. And I have a feeling I'm going to have a few coming my way at some point in this episode. But one of my best friends in the business, in the game, all around great human being, Nick Petraglia. Trags, what is going on today, my man? Oh, Toph, I am uh, I'm pumped to be here, honored by the invite. Uh, listen to you guys all the time. Uh, what you guys have done for the hockey world, uh, I think it's amazing. I know there's a lot of kids and families that listen in the car. I know I do when I'm on road trips. Um, but you guys do amazing work, and you're giving back to the game and making an impact. And uh, to be part of it today is an honor, so thanks for having me. Well, thanks. It's almost like kind you heard that. <laughs> From the heart. That was straight from the heart, man. (laughs) I like it. Well, uh, I'm I'm so excited to finally have you on. We've been trying to get you on for a while now and and very, very happy to get you on now because you, like I said, one of the best people in the game. And uh, obviously, we're going to try and take it way back to start and figure out how little Trags got involved in the game of hockey. So I know you're Pittsburgh born and bred, but you're also a big Fairbow, Minnesota guy. So uh, if you can, tell us a little bit about how you fell in love with this great game. Yeah. Uh, falling in love with the game. Credit goes to 66 on that one. Um, I was so fortunate, uh, grew up in Pittsburgh and so I was born in 82. Right. And, and my youth was right in that wheelhouse where, uh, Mario is in his prime and you get Yager and Francis and Tom Barrasso and all these hall of famers, Paul Coffey. So I'm nine, 10 years old when they win their first cups. Uh, some of my first memories are, um, you know, late 80s when Mario was just getting going. I remember the 87 Canada Cup. Uh, and my love for the game, quite honestly, just started from watching his greatness. And he electrified the area. And it wasn't just me. There's a whole crop of kids that grew up in that time frame that went on, went on to start playing the game. Um, my dad never played. He loved it. He's obviously probably the guy that got me into it, watching games on TV. Um, but fell in love with it from watching Mario and he was the guy that inspired me and captured me and uh, I got a late start actually playing I didn't start playing until I was probably eight Um, my hockey journey started in YMCA actually there you go yeah playing floor hockey I was probably seven and uh, I this I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way but the the truth is 
we were driving home. I played in the basement all the time when I was a kid. Um, and we're driving home from a floor hockey game in the YMCA. And my mom's trying to tell me how good I was. And I was like, mom, I, I don't know if I'm really good. This isn't real hockey. Can I try it? And, um, and that's how I got my start. They finally kind of got me into the game and got me on the ice. And uh, it took off from there. Played house league hockey uh, with the Westmoreland Eagles uh, in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Played, uh, started in mites, had one year in mites, but then went on the squirts, played a couple years double A. And then it started to get real for me uh, probably around seventh or eighth grade when I started playing for the Pittsburgh Hornets. Um, the Pittsburgh Hornets. Pittsburgh Hornets. Yeah, that was my first triple. What a name! Experience. And uh, when I was a, a freshman in high school, took a leap of faith, and it's crazy to think back about it now and how young I was. Um, but hockey was a different world back then, right? Uh, now you have kids that it doesn't matter where you're from; you can develop everywhere. Uh, whether you're from Arizona, Florida, uh, California, you look at Austin Matthews, unbelievable example of you know, growing up in Arizona because of the coyotes, it wasn't really like that back then. We, I don't think we got to that point in America with hockey being everywhere. Um, so took the journey to Shattuck in ninth grade, moved away from home, was in the dorms and was part of that age group. Uh, really lucky to be part of it. Shattuck was just starting to build their program. This is 1996. So it was when the, uh, you know, they went from a prep team or a high school team to the model that you see today where there's Bantams, a bunch of midget teams, and you kind of work your way through the system. So give us some names. Who were some guys that you played with? Uh, so and by the way, before, before you do that, I can't believe Vex that Trags is so monotone right now. I, I don't know if he's trying to play it cool, but like he is the leader of the Shattuck St. Mary's fan club. Oh, like, he's one of those guys. Like, voice goes up three octaves when he gets the chance <laughs> to talk about Shattuck. So, um, uh, he's he's playing Mr. Cool right now, I think. No, I'm not not at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm a positive guy, Tope. It doesn't matter what I'm talking about. I'm like, a little bit of passion and excitement for <laughs> for everything. So, Shattuck's one of those things that's dear to my heart for sure. But um, don't, don't call me a fan club, man. <laughs> that's true. Uh, you like – yeah, but, you're a builder, founder. Oh, not me. I was, I was lucky to be, uh, sitting in the crease for some of it. I had some great teammates. Um, actually I could probably spin this back on you. So, uh, yeah, I know we have a story with Shattuck and Toph. I'll get to that in a second, but, um, a lot of great players. Um, Ben Eves would be probably the first one I would think of, um, back then. And in our age group, he was, I think the best player in the country and he kind of set the tone for us. Um, had a ton of guys that moved on to, to play college hockey. Uh, but even the guys that were younger, I know we had uh, an amazing Bantam team that was probably one of the best Bantam teams ever. Zach Parisi, Patrick Eves, uh, Tyler Hirsch, Drew Stafford. I think they only lost one game that one year. I can't remember who it was to. Vex, do you know who beat them that year? Probably the Chicago Chill. <laughs> so, Which I played for. No, it's the, t- it's the team Vex that beat you without a goalie. <laughs> oh, oh, oh and bantam we're talking about bantam oh, <laughs> who cares? Yeah, hey, hey i won a game in half ice and i had nine goals when i was four that's cool too <laughs> <laughs> no but uh but Shad, let's get back on track here it was an amazing experience uh great people that's where i really learned how to take hockey seriously 
uh, had some awesome coaches, JP Parisi, Andy Murray, um, who's a, at Western now Vex and, uh, Tom Ward. So Andy was my coach our junior year when we won uh, the first national championship. And then Tom coach Ward came in the next year for my senior year. So I got to play for both of them. And really it was just an incredible experience, experience, not just because of the people, uh, but what it forced me to learn off the ice, um, moving away from home when I was 14 years old, I had to grow up a lot faster than I probably would have otherwise. And I was in a really good place where people were there to help me and guide me and uh, invaluable experience. So amazing four years. My parents ended up moving out there. They still live there today. Uh, so Pittsburgh is where the roots are, but Fairball's also home. Uh, and then to make the journey to, uh, to Miami. And I was a true freshman, um, recruited late my senior year. We had a, a weekend at Culver and uh, things went well. And Coach Blasey was there with Joe Bonnet. And this was probably late February, early March. And went on my first official visit and just absolutely fell in love. And little did I know that that decision to go to Miami was going to be a 20-year decision. Um, but just the best decision I ever made. Uh, obviously met my wife there, built a family, but, you know, wore a lot of different hats at Miami from being a student athlete to uh, getting into coaching, uh, doing the grad school. And just the opportunities those 20 years provide. I mean, we can maybe get into that a little bit later. Um, but 20 years at Miami was just so special. And then uh, go back to a couple months ago, took another leap of faith, uh, moved the family to Columbus, and we're here today and excited to be part of this. So I guess that's a quick Reader's Digest version of the, uh, the hockey path. But uh, it's always been about the people and uh, continues to be about that. And Excited to be here today in Columbus. For sure, man. That's awesome. Well, I want to go back to Shattuck um, and talk about that a little bit because, like you said, you guys were kind of the building blocks of, of what it is today. And we've had a few people from Shattuck on here. We've had a few women's hockey players, a few men's hockey players. Um, what, what was it about Shattuck that was so special about it? I know, like, the, the kind of easy answer is the people, right? You had amazing coaches and, and great players to play with and stuff as you guys were going through your process there. But what, like, what's the mystique? What's, what is it about Shattuck that made you kind of the hockey player and the person that you ended up becoming? That's a good question. Um, if I think back about it now, I'd probably say that we were just so in the moment. Um, I don't think there were a ton of distractions around us. And when you're around a lot of good people, and this isn't just hockey, right? This is, you have teachers that are living in the dorms. They're eating meals with you. They're in this community because they care about impacting lives and helping kids grow. Uh, both on and off the ice. There's just so many people there that have a hand in your development and your growth. And you always have your parents, but when you add people like that on top of your parents and your other, your other role models, um, it's hard not to just keep getting better every day. And we're talking for me and my experience, 1996 to 2000, um, no Twitter, no advisors, no internet real I mean that wasn't really part of our world and we just you're with your teammates every day you're getting better you're having fun you're learning and it was just the perfect environment for me to grow and and that's probably where I made the greatest strides in my life where it was in those four years 
turning in from, you know, a little kid when I got there. Um, and then by the time I graduated being ready for college, but, um, yeah, just all the lessons you learn and all the different aspects of life. So that's, to me, that's the mystique or, or where, where I learned what I learned. How important or how big of a role do you think it played having you move away from home at a younger age too? Because I left home early, Tove didn't. So we have kind of different junior experiences and the things that we went through. And you went through that obviously at Shattuck. So how do you think that shaped you? I'd have to totally give credit to the the people that were there, the the adults, because when you're that young, you definitely can't do it by yourself. You need guidance. You need role models. And I don't think that our family would have made a decision to move away from home. For me as a 14-year-old kid, if the right people weren't in place and there was a lot of trust there. Um, so it's obviously critical, um, but you have to surround yourself with the right people. You have to find the right culture. You have to find the right fit. Um, and there's no one answer. Everybody's going to have a different timeline. Um, some of this for me was so far, far back that it's hard for me to remember some of it. Right. And it, it wasn't that tough of a transition for me because it just felt right. And, um, you just kind of make some friends right away and get the right relationships in place and, and you just take off. And then my, my family ended up moving out there the very next year, my dad got transferred. So I wasn't out there for all four years by myself. I was there one year by myself and then my family was there with me. So I think that changed my experience too. So I wasn't totally away from home. Um, it was just that one year, but it, it shapes you a lot, but you have to surround yourself with the right people and, and trust you're in the right, the right culture. And that ended up being the right place for me. It's so true, man. Like, you know, I've been kind of pounding the drum of local hockey for a while now. And, and again, we're all a product of our experiences, right? Like I got to live at home until I went to college and I was lucky enough to even play junior hockey and, and live at home. And, you know, I don't know what my, my experience would have been like had I moved away, but I was having this conversation with someone the other day where you look at Bantam hockey, you look at midget hockey and, and there's like a realistic point of view versus like an idealistic point of view. And my idealistic point of view is that people can stay at home until they play junior hockey and you can play local hockey, but that's just not, and, and tracks, this is something you're getting into the youth hockey game. Now there's so many different moving parts. I feel like kids are moving away from home younger and younger and younger. And I've always kind of railed against that. I think mainly because of my experience being able to stay at home for so long and knowing how important like being under the roof of your parents can be. But again, I think what you said nails it so much. Like I think we talk too much and we talked about this a lot in the conference Vex. Like when we talked with gags about boys versus girls hockey and stuff like that, it doesn't necessarily matter the what, where you are or what level or whatever it may be. It's the who, like, who are you surrounding yourself with? Like, if I'm somebody that's banging the drum for being able to stay home as long as you can, well, if you don't have the best situation at home and you can surround yourself with better people at prep school, like that's the better, that's the better situation. Like it, it just goes back and we talk about it all the time, but it's just like, it's coming so much more full circle for me. Just the, the more experience that I get, the more people I talk to and the more I figured out from a grassroots level, what's going on in, in the U S and in Canada with all this stuff. Like, again, just surround yourself with the best people, the people that are going to support you, the people that are going to challenge you, the people that are going to tell you the truth and not just tell you what you want to hear. And, and, uh, Trags, I think it's like a perfect, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, 
that experience shaped you. Vex, when you moved up with us, like you were surrounded with good people. You were away from home, but you were surrounded by good people. And uh, at the end of the you day- You just call like, yourself a good people? My parents, my family. Um, <laughs> no, you are. Obviously. <laughs> um, but like, I, I don't know, man. I just- it's so funny because a lot of the conversations that I have as a hockey director, a lot of the conversations I have, you know, running the hockey think tank, a lot of the questions are the what, but I feel like my answers have more and more and more. And they have always kind of have been like this, but more and more, it's like, okay, who are the best people? Like, just, that's what you need to do. Go by the best people, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And going back to what I said before about just hockey around this country, we've grown so much and come so far. Um, there isn't a need to leave home. Uh, the grass is not always greener, right? And you don't want to be that, that player that's always chasing it. You can never lose sight of your responsibility in your development. You have to look in the mirror. You have to focus on the things that you do and trust the people around you. But you, ha- you have to be a great teammate. You have to work hard. There's no substitute for hard work, right? You have to put in the time. You have to dedicate yourself to your craft. You have to do things the right way and you can do that anywhere. Um, if, if you surround yourself with the right people, it doesn't matter where that's at. Uh, and it is a process. It's an everyday process. You guys talk about that all the time. Um, but I totally agree. Tove. Yeah, for sure. So, um, after, so you go to Shattuck, had that great experience there, win a couple national championships and then got the chance to go play at Miami and, and went on a little, little 20 year run there. <laughs> um, but the, the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you that I'm most interested in is you went from player straight to the coaching staff, like within a year. And, and I think that's just such a crazy, crazy thing to be like teammates with guys one year and then coaching them the next year. And I know you were, cause you were doing your grad assistant program. And so what was that experience like going from being at the bars with the guys on Saturday nights to, you know, being somebody that's on the coaching staff. Was that, was that weird for you? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Um, and for me, I, I knew that I always wanted to be in the game. Um, so when you get to those crossroads and I'm, you know, I'm assessing where I'm at to me, pro hockey wasn't an option. I didn't think I was good enough to really take a run at it. And I knew I wanted to get in the game or be in the game. And the way for me to do that was coaching. And I was, again, going back to people, uh, was so lucky as a young coach to get thrown right into the fire. And I'm forever grateful uh, to Coach Blasey, uh, Chris Bergeron, Jeff Blaschel. Those were the coaches that I played for and then welcomed me with open arms as a grad assistant. Josh Fenton was our director of hockey ops. Uh, Mitch Korn, who I've learned a ton from. Hold on, Josh Fenton, who is now the commissioner of the NCHC. So talk about a coaching staff right there. Yeah, you talk (laughs) about a group of people that I was able to learn from as a young coach, and they threw me right into the fire, like I said. Um, And I'm forever grateful. The the things that I learned from them, that's where I learned that hockey uh, and the things that you learn from the game extends far beyond the sheet of ice and that everything you do matters in life. Um, And those guys were just incredible to me. And to go through grad school, to learn from them, uh, it was also critical stages of our program, right? We were trying to take that leap from average to good to great. And it 
was a little bit of a process, but once we got the new rink uh, in 06, uh, we were lucky enough to get get better and get good and win a championship. Um, you know, the last year in the old building, actually Vex was there for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't there for the championship, but yeah, I, was, I was there for one of the games. Uh, I remember one of my greatest memories actually because of a Jeff Lavecchio uh, missed shot block on an Alec Martinez overtime goal. So, um, but that happened. We've talked about it on the podcast before, <laughs> but tracks. move on, move on. Oh, I love it. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a learning experience. Well, Trags, let, let me ask you, let me cut you off here real quick. Let me ask you this because I feel the same way when I went in um, and you were an assistant coach, you and Brex and, and obviously Rico was the head coach there. Um, you guys threw me into the fire too. Like it was not like, okay, kid, come in here with your kid gloves and, and learn from us. It was like, no, we expect you to do this, this, and this. And, you know, it was kind of a figuring out what your role is kind of thing, but figure it out you know, we're not going to treat you with kid gloves. And, and I always felt that that was like such a, such a huge part of my education as a coach and such a huge part of my growth is I just had to figure it out. You guys just kind of like trusted me to do my thing and, and they did the same thing with you. So I wanted to ask you like, how much do you think, because I don't think we do enough of that nowadays. There's so much, so many booklets and so many manuals and so many protocols that you have to follow. If you want to get better at whatever it is you want to get at when sometimes the best teacher is just experience and, and figuring it out and failing and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, from your experience going in from player to a coach and <laughs> probably figuring out pretty quickly how different those two things are. Um, what was your, experience like with those guys getting thrown into the fire yeah you're exactly right you learn by doing there's no better way to learn and and the greatest way to learn is is also to fail and we had our fair share of failures and adversity and when you're trying to build a program and trying to get better you go through that together and and when there's tough times it brings you closer together and when you when you have the relationships and you trust each other and you respect each other and everybody is in it together and you can talk through things and it doesn't matter what somebody's role is, but there's a respect and a relationship in place. Um, you go through it together, you learn and you just, you figure it out. And that's exactly what it was like for me to, especially as, as a young coach to, to be around, you know, you're there, I'm there with, uh, with coach Blaze, with Burge, with Blash. Those were the guys that were there and, and Josh when, uh, when I first got going, and I'm a director of hockey ops for a few years. And then Burge leaves to be the head coach at, at Bowling Green. And I get to ride shotgun with Brex, who's an, another amazing human being and teacher of the game and communicator. I look up to all of these guys. And those were my examples that was, they were right there next to me every single day. And talk about being around great people. Uh, I couldn't have been luckier. Me too. When I got to Miami, because I think your, your first year as an assistant was my first year as a, uh, as a grad assistant there. So we were, uh, we were going through all that stuff together and what a learning experience it was. And I think we were both learning um, you specifically from the recruiting side. It was the first year that you were able to recruit as my first year coaching. We learned a lot of stuff together and a lot of late nights, a lot of, a lot of time just as a, as a coach, like we were so close. That was the one thing I'll always remember about that staff that year. And, and, uh, only got one year because I got the Cornell job the next year. But like, I mean, man, like the camaraderie that we had as a coaching staff was incredible. And all four of us were very, very different. I mean, you throw in Josh and Matt Katie as well, like all six of us 
I mean, just very, very different, but all brought something unique to the table. And, and I just think having that coaches camaraderie in the coaches room, how important that is. And like, we were so successful that year and won the last CCHA championship ever number one in the country going into the tournament and stuff. And I, I honestly felt like our team fed off of each of us as, as coaches and, and what we brought to the table. And I just think that's so important. And it goes back to like, you have to bring your best self every day. You know, like Trags, you brought your best self, which is so much different than Brex bringing his best self, which is so much different than Rico bringing his best self, which is so much different than me. And like, I don't know, it's just such a such a great people learning experience and how important the people side of it is, um, because it was just like. I mean, if we have a theme for this freaking whole conversation, it's just like surround yourself with good people. But I mean, when, when you have that kind of experience in, in the camaraderie and you have that kind of experience in growth as an individual and as a collective group, which especially you guys need to have at Miami because you have turnover with the volunteer and director of hockey ops sometimes and, and stuff like that. Just you guys treated me so well. I felt like I was part of the staff from the beginning and uh, it just, it goes a long, long way for, especially for young coaches getting into it to have that type of mentorship and to have that type of ability to do your job and to be trusted to do your job and, and to be allowed to do it the way that, kind of like you your natural abilities flow to whatever the situation is right and and that was a special year and, and part of it too so we had a great chemistry uh on our staff we had great senior leadership and a great chemistry in the locker room yeah a really awesome group of guys but what's one of the things that really made that year special um that core group went through a ton together a ton of adversity um that's the group that you know, the seniors, when they were freshmen, we were number one in the country. Um, we were searching for a frozen four. We lose to Boston College in the regional final in overtime. The very next year, um, in 09, we have an up and down year. We sneak into the national tournament. I think we we're the last team in. And that's the team that went all the way to the national championship game. And for those of you that are listening that don't know about it, um, that was that was the one where we blew a three, one lead with a minute to go and, and lost an overtime on a fluke goal. Um, but that was absolutely crushing, but it was a moment that brought us together. And one thing we learned, uh, especially about our program was the amount of people that continued to believe in us and stand behind us. The guys that chose to come back and, you know, stick around to, to try to keep elevating the program. Um, we were able to go back to the frozen four the very next year um, and won a CCHA regular season championship, but another shot of adversity. Uh, you talk about our team being close. We had a tragic death when we lost Brennan Burke in the car accident that very next year. So, you know, you lose the national championship game that's on the ice the very next year, you lose one of your brothers, uh, and what a special person he was. That was so hard for everybody, um, to go through that. And that's real life, right? Um, so that was something we had to get through together. And then the very next year, Toph, when you're there, you know, we're still going through all of these experiences at the beginning of the year, we get off to a good start and Will Weber, one of our rocks and just probably our top defenseman, um, gets sliced in the neck and has just a gruesome neck injury and the ice, yeah. it's happening right in front of all of us. 
and just another shot of adversity we had to deal with. So we went through all of these things together, some of them on the ice, some of them off the ice. And we were a tight group that I think we learned how to stick together and, and how to persevere and get through things. And that's what the game teaches you, right? It teaches you how to fail and how to be part of something bigger than yourself and be accountable to others. Um, that group went through a lot over the course of two or three years. And then you get that, that senior year with the great leadership and, you know, we had our ups and downs, but we came together and, and were able to win that first uh, playoff championship for the program. And that meant a lot to that, that group of kids and the coaches because of how much we had gone through, right. The, the failures and the adversity makes winning that much better. And uh, you know, that's, I'm sure that everybody that was part of that would, would speak the same way, but that was a, a special year for sure. Yeah. I, I do want to go back to, to one of the things that you talked about, because I, I think it, it is something, and we've talked about it on the podcast. We talked about it with John Butchergrass when he was on, cause he was so involved in, in helping out with uh, Berkey and, and the, you can play project. But I uh, like the, the year that I was there, the year after he passed away, like there was still an aura about him. Like I still kind of felt like he was a part of the program, even though I'd never met him before, but just in the way that people talked about him and the way that he was still a presence, um, I, I'd love to ask you the question, like what, what did Berkey mean to you and, and what did he mean to the program and, and, um, just take us through, you know, just the, the type of person that he was and, and how he was able to uplift so many different people. Yeah. Um, what an incredible human being he was, um, infectious, positive attitude that had a special ability to make whatever person he was talking to feel like they were the most important person in his life. That's, that's who Brennan Burke was, uh, cared about everyone. Um, he was able to pull off a feat that is not easy to do. So he came in, uh, when I was director of hockey ops, he was a, a freshman and came in to just be an off ice, um, kind of, helper of the coaching staff he did stats he did video for us just a lot of things behind the scenes and he was able to develop relationships where as a coaching staff we looked at him and we're talking about a kid that's 18 19 20 years old and we looked at Berkey like he was a member of our staff and he was a, a colleague and at the at the same time our players would have viewed him as a teammate and he was one of their brothers and he fit in with both groups at the same time as a young man, as a kid. Right. And that's a really hard thing to do and to have the maturity uh, and character to, to be able to do that's pretty special. Um, but just a genuinely um, just a great person. He was so genuine, um, worked so hard, was there every day. And that's actually, how I knew something was wrong. Uh, he was supposed to be at the game on the night he had his accident and didn't show up because he was late. And as soon as he was late, I knew something was wrong because he would never be late to anything. He would never not check in. Um, but what he did for us was he, he taught us um, how to handle ourselves and to be mindful of acceptance and inclusion. And this is a time where I don't think that was talked about enough. It's talked about a little bit more now. We're making progress. We still got a long ways to go. Um, but Berkey came out. He he got comfortable and confident and had so much courage. Uh, and dad was the GM of the Maple Leafs at the time. 
And it was right during the, uh, the 09 Frozen Four where he told the players on the team that he was gay and then told us as, the, as a coaching staff maybe the week after. And it was incredible because it wasn't surprising that nothing changed in terms of how they felt about him. That was all already in place, that there was love and, and respect there. But what it made us do was look in the mirror and be mindful of the way we spoke, the way we treated each other, just locker room talk. He forever changed our culture just by holding us in check and, and teaching us and showing us that, hey, the words you use matter. And you never really know what someone's going through. Sometimes you say words and you don't really know what they mean. You just say them because they're part of you know, a locker room culture. And he got rid of that. And, and he, he taught us a lot. And it changed at Miami. And then he had his accident and Butchie wrote the articles and there were some interviews on, on TSN. And then it just started snowballing with the creation of the You Can Play project. And we continue to, you know, try to support that and represent um, the right way moving forward. But back in those days and in that moment, it was an eye-opener for us. And the culture changed immediately because we realized, hey, we can be better here. And, uh, yeah, it, it taught us a lot. Special, special person. Oh, my God. Like, that's such an amazing story, man. And, and like, honestly, being there the year afterwards, and, and I still remember vividly the anniversary of his death where we, uh, you know, we had a celebration of his life because I think we had a game that day. Yep. The, the, the year after and and uh it, it's just one of those things that again it goes back to people you surround yourself with good people and you can just like feel the love yeah. and it's kind of like a corny thing to say because it is a corny thing to say but just like you get emotional even thinking about it or talking about it and you're talking to me who I wasn't even there like I had never met Berkey ever but just the way that you guys talked about him and, and the way that he changed your program, I mean, it was ever present. And, and I, I would imagine you would agree with me, having been there for both years, that he was a huge part of the reason why we had success that next year, even after he passed away with the, the lessons that he taught people. And like there was just a, there was a higher calling for what we were doing that year, almost like we wanted to do it for Berkey. I mean, I'm sure we said that and I can even remember people saying like, you know, even after we won that championship, like him being mentioned in the locker room after the game and, uh, and his presence. And it's just, uh, when you get to surround yourself with people like that, it's a very, very special thing. And, and, um, um, it's just, it's, it's absolutely tragic what, what happened, but I think his legacy and what's going to live on, I think is, is incredible. You look at the, you can play project. You look at the way that the game has changed when it comes to homophobia and, and he, him and his family, um, after he passed, I mean, they changed the game for the better forever. I think. No doubt. And there's no question in my mind that if he was still with us, uh, he would be doing amazing things. This was 10 years ago now. Um, he'd probably be an executive in the NHL or who knows. He was off to law school the next year and was going to be really successful in anything that he chose to be part of. Um, but the special thing is that his legacy is definitely still there and is still a big part of, of what we're doing. And uh, I think about him all the time. So he'll always have an impact on my life. That's for sure. That's awesome, man. But 
Oh, crazy. So piggybacking off of that, talking a little bit about that year that we spent together. I think one of the other big lessons that I learned in, in watching you guys handle the players and, and just watching the culture grow is I, you, you look at some of our better players and we had a lot of really good ones that year. Obviously Andy Mealy won the Hobie Baker, Carter Camper scored basically whenever he wanted to Riley Smith. You look at what he's doing right now, Pat Canoni. I mean, Chris Weidman was on a, on the team Vex. Um, and you just kind of go down the list to goaltenders that were number one goaltenders. But I think the really cool thing for me to watch and learn you guys um, deal with all of those players where all of those players were very different and you guys dealt with those players on individual basis so, so well. And uh, it was very, very cool to see and, and be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations. And, and the thing that I always respected is how deep those conversations always were, trying to get at the root of things and really trying to get to know the kids and, and stuff like that. And, and, and it was just such a great education as a young coach going in there and, and how important that is. So I wanted to ask you, being a part of that staff and, and especially for that year with some of the characters we had in the locker room with, with the players and how different some of them were in, in the best way possible. Um, what would you say to, to how intentional maybe that was you guys dealing with players on an individual basis, which is the way that coaching has kind of gone nowadays, but this was what, 12, 10, 12 years ago now um, where it wasn't necessarily the, the way that people coached at the time. Yeah. Um, I think it all comes down to relationships, right? Um, and I'm not just going to say that's coach-player re relationships. I think that, that that particular team understood each other, um, and that included the locker room. You had a bunch of guys that loved each other, that cared about each other, but understood how each other ticked and what made each, each person be their best. Uh, we had some great internal competition on that team. You look at Mealy and Camper, uh, especially – um, meals won the Hobie Baker that year, but Carter led, you know, the NCAA in scoring for the, f the four years that he was a college hockey player. And that was a competitive battle, but it never got in the way of the team. The team always came first. Those guys wanted to win first and foremost, and that internal competition drove everybody to be better. I'm just using those two as an example, but there was other ones as well. Pacanoni was, you know, air quotes, third line center for probably his entire career. Um, he would have been a first line center on yeah, you would say 75% of the other teams. But it, wasn't, it wasn't behind those guys. It was just everybody doing it together. Yeah. And, uh, and no one really complained about their roles. Uh, our practices were harder than games. Our kids worked so hard and it really comes down. We talk about the right people. Um, we were fortunate to have, the right group of kids that had the right character, the right drive, the, the right work ethic. And they put the team first and that's why we had success. Um, it wasn't easy. We had our moments, we had our ups and downs, um, but we stuck together and just an incredible group of, of kids. And that's what made it extra special. So for the coaches out there listening, <clears throat> is there anything that you did specifically with a guy like Pat Canoni, who could have been a first line center on another team. And he's a third line center. And you said he played that role pretty much his whole college career. Is there anything that you were like, how did you get him to buy into accepting that role? 
you, I think the biggest thing is you have to communicate, develop a relationship and, and make sure that everybody knows what their role is and you're honest and direct and consistent with your communication. But you also have to make sure every player recognizes their value on the team and treat everybody that they're important because every piece of the puzzle does matter. You know, it's not just your top scores. And, you know, you say this all the time when you're talking to teams and, you know, you're a college coach and you have someone come through on a, a campus visit and you have a whole team sitting in the locker room. Uh, every piece of the puzzle matters. You have to know who you are as a player. You have to know what you bring to the table um, and how you fit and perform your role to perfection. Um, and you're always going to work on your game and, and all aspects of it, but you have to know who you are and recognize that, that you're a piece of a team. And it's not just about, you know, circling the, the first couple names on the leading scorer list and taking those guys. You need all of the different pieces um, to build something that's going to be successful. But it does come down to communication, relationships, development. Um, all of those things matter. And with that particular group, and Canoni especially, like, he never complained. Um, he had plenty of opportunities too, don't get me wrong. He's on the first power play. He's getting... Um, plenty of minutes, but he never pointed fingers. He never looked at others and said, well, why am I not playing with these guys? He just showed up every day and gave his best and did his job. And, you know, that's when you have a successful team, you're going to have buy-in, you're going to have everybody doing their part to bring their very best every single day. I think the really? thing, the thing with Canoni too, is like, he did it and he did it with a smile on his face too. You know, it wasn't like he was coming to the rink. It just like, he loved to be there and he loved relishing in, in the role that he had. And, and uh, I, I don't even like you talk about me. He was the third line center, but he wasn't treated that way. Like you talk about him being on the top power play unit. And it's not like every time he was hitting the red line, it was chipping in and go four check. Like it was like, dude, go make plays and go do your thing. And he certainly did. I mean, the guy played games in, in the NHL. He's still playing, I think, right. Drags like he's still playing over in Europe right now. So um, just, just a very, very cool experience. And, and you're right too, man. Like those practices were awesome they were so much fun to be a part of because they competed so hard against each other. And when you have like players like Carter camper, Carter camper and Andy Mealy going one-on-one -on -one against each other. And both of them have an unbelievable burning desire to be the best player on the ice. Like that is so much fun to watch. And, uh, and, and like Andy Mealy doesn't win the Hobie Baker if Carter Camper isn't right there with him because like Carter would get three points in a weekend and Mealy would get four. And then the next weekend, freaking Mealy would get three and Camper would get four. And then they, they were just pushing each other the whole time. And then he had younger guys like Riley Smith and Curtis McKenzie and like all these other just great, good hockey players. Great. Like it was just a freaking, it was an awesome year, man. So much fun. Yeah, and you know, another story about meals too, because going off of what you just said, um, and this is a great example for the kids listening, you don't want practice to be easy, right? You're out there to get better, to push yourself, um, and, and to reach new levels of your game. Andy Muley never took a day off on the ice and never wanted it easy. He was the guy that if we had a, a drill going, uh, a battle drill, whatever it was, 
he would keep an eye on what defenseman he was going to. He wanted to go against Will Weber every single time. He wanted it to be hard. He wanted to go against the best. He wanted to push himself and challenge himself. There was no shortcuts for him. And certainly that pushed him to the next level. Um, but that comes from within. That's not a coach telling Andy Mealy to go against Will Weber. That's just his internal drive and desire to be his best. And again, it comes down to responsibility. It is your responsibility to bring that out in yourself. Coaches are there to guide and teach. And of course, coaches can help motivate. But if you don't have an internal drive and you don't want to, you know, give your best in everything that you're doing, you're not going to have the success or reach your potential. And, you know, you always have to look to within first or look in the mirror before you start pointing fingers or, or trying to run off to something that you think is better. You got to look at yourself first. Yeah. And the other thing too, is like, he makes you a better coach. You know, Carter made you a better coach. Riley Smith makes you a better coach because they don't want to be coached easy. And right. if you're, if you're going through the motions as a coach, like they will eat you alive. <laughs> they, they will lose respect for you very, very fast. And you, like you remember at the end of the practices, like meals would never let me take a day off and get off the ice. Yeah. And I had, like, I was a GA. So I had class. I had to, I was, my te my professors hated me because Andy Mealy made sure that I stayed on the ice with them, you know, at the end of every practice. But it's so infectious too. Like you remember this tracks, like at first it was kind of me and meals doing some skill work. And then meals started to kind of blow up and, and you saw the success that he was having. And then all of a sudden in our drills, there were like two or three guys that wanted to come and do the drills. And then all of a sudden there were five or six guys that wanted to come and do the drills. And then all of a sudden it was everybody trying to do the drills. So when you have players like that, that are, that are working that hard, it, it's just, it's such an infectious thing and it made everybody else better. It made us as coaches to, uh, better specifically myself, like, the, the amount that I had to think and plan and, and be prepared for, for everything. And, and uh, it's just when you have people around that work really hard and care about what they do, if you work hard and care about what you do, you're going to get better at your job. And uh, I was very, very fortunate to be a part of, again, like the staff that we had there because we pushed each other to, to be better and, and allowed room to grow and stuff, but the players were the same way. You know, the players were inquisitive. The players were curious. The players wanted to be coached and uh, you, you couldn't have an off day as a coach when you have players like that. It makes you better too. Yeah. And connecting the dots here, that's why sports is so special, right? It brings out the best in all of us. It teaches you so much. And when you're accountable to somebody other than yourself and you know that what you do matters to another person's success and you're part of a team, um, it just, it makes everybody better. And this is not just about sports. This, this translates to everything that you do because sports is the greatest platform and arena to learn life skills. Right. So it doesn't even matter what level you get to. If you go through that in sport and give your very best and surround yourself with the right people, what that prepares you to do in life, uh, whether it be work or how to raise a family or how to have a relationship and be a husband and a wife, all of that stuff filters right in where you can lean back on your experiences in sport and how, how hard you worked and how you dealt with failure and adversity and worked with other people and how you were coachable. Like that's what this is all about. Right. Um, that's so well, awesome. yeah, great, great example there Toph, with, with those stories, but I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at, where you're at. Um, it's the same stuff for everybody. That's what this game teaches us. And, and my favorite thing about hockey too, like, 
I think all sports are great, but I just, I think our sport requires just a little bit more sacrifice for your teammates than other sports. Like we really need each other. The game's so dynamic and, and you can't do it by yourself. One, two players is not going to win it for your team. Like you have to sacrifice for your teammates and you need every single one of them. I a hundred percent agree. And I, I look at a sport like basketball <clears throat> I didn't watch a lot of basketball growing up, but like one really good player can win a team games. And it's like, Hockey, that doesn't really happen. Like, McDavid hasn't won a cup, you know? Like, it, it, it's it's so different. There's so much team and relying on each other and trusting each other and working together for the same goal. I, I 100% agree, and I love that you said that. It's, it's so good for life lessons. Like everyone should play hockey because of that reason. Hey, Vex, when you're in the uh, the gym, does that, like – kind of what we're talking about and being pushed, like are there certain players that you have in the gym that make you better? You know, guys that kind of go above and beyond guys that want to do more guys that like, you know, you can see yourself growing as a trainer because they're pushing you to be better. hundred percent. You remember when we had Josh Boyer on last year? Yeah. A uh, young guy. I think he was a freshman at UNO and we had him on cause he played in the USHL and the NAHL the year before that. And then he was a freshman at UNO. And that guy always wants to be challenged more. If I say do this many, he wants to do more. Now, sometimes I got to pull him back for scientific reasons, but he's also in there pushing everyone else. He's a guy walking around the room like, you know, let's go, Larry. Let's go, so-and-so. Let's go, so-and-so. And then you, you guys name Larry in your gym? What, well, last name, Larry again. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, like, he's pushing guys which then they respond to that, which then because they're responding, that makes him push harder. Then he feels a responsibility to lead because he's pushing others. And so it's just, yeah, 100%. It's, it's very cool to see. Attitude's contagious, man. It's so contagious the, for the good and the bad. And yeah. when, you have, when you have a lot of the good, it, it makes for something very, very special. And uh, it's just, uh, again, surround yourself with people like that. That's why it's so important recruiting in, in college hockey, pro hockey scouting. I mean, you want to get those people who are going to make your culture better, not just your team better. If you, can, if you can get a kid that's really, really good at hockey, but also really, really good at those other intangibles that we're talking about right now, I mean, that's a recipe. And that's why Miami, I mean, that's why you guys were so successful for so long. Um, you had so many of those types of players um, and, and I know that from just hearing you guys talk and, and what you believe in about the recruiting process and stuff. And, uh, just very, very cool to be a part of, man. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of that. <laughs> that wasn't me, Toph, but, uh, it was, I mean, it's, uh, forged a lifelong friendship here too, right? It was just one year we had together and here we are 10 years later. I don't think a week has gone by where we haven't talked to each other. Right. So. Um, that's the other thing that's so special about the game is just the relationships that it gives you. And at the end of the day, you remember, you know, games and moments, but it's all about the people and the relationships that just last beyond when you're actually playing. Yeah, for sure. Well, you talk about, that's a nice little segue as, as the host of this podcast, it's always nice when you get a, a little segue that you can move on to another uh, subject, which I completely just lost in talking about it, but Hey, it is what it is. <laughs> um, but uh, you talk about how we, 
talk now and our conversations are a little different now because of the uh, the line of work that we are in and and what we are doing to try and elevate the the youth hockey game now. And you just took over a role as as one of the head people at the Columbus junior blue jackets triple a organization and uh, i know you're going to do awesome awesome things right there what's that transition been like for you um going from being a coach in college hockey then being an administrator at miami and now you're you're knee deep in the uh in the youth hockey game so what's that transition like uh what's that transition been like for you it's been awesome this is just it's a great place to raise a family uh i love miami as much as anybody you'll ever meet um, but for us to, to make this move and take another leap of faith and, and come here to Columbus, there's so much opportunity. There's so many great people here. It's a sneaky, good hockey town. If you think about it, um, you don't have any other major sports. You don't have NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, the Blue Jackets. Uh, they go on a run here and, you know, win a Stanley Cup or take a serious run at one. This place will go absolutely crazy. Um, but it's an awesome culture here. Um, you know, I knew that from the relationships that go way back, um, starting with Ed Ginger, um, known him forever. He's the, the one responsible for starting this conversation and finding an opportunity for me here and our family here. Uh, but going back to the recruiting, uh, at Miami and, and we really built our program on kids from Columbus. If, if there was a kid coming through the system, um, that was a division one hockey player, um, we knew that they were going to fit into our culture because of uh, the type of people they were. There was good kids coming from this organization that knew how to compete, knew how to do things the right way, knew how to be part of a team. Their habits were there, uh, good families. And, you know, whether it be Trent Vogelhuber, Sean Corrali, the Sherwood, uh, Kiefer Sherwood, Jack Rosovic, Carson Meyer, um, just a bunch of Columbus kids that I had the, the fortune of uh, recruiting, coaching, developing relationships with. And over the course of time, when this opportunity presented itself, um, looking to those guys and, and how they came through this system, it was a really easy decision to come be a part of this. Um, it's been fascinating to me to make the transition from, from college to, to, to youth hockey. It's very different in the sense, especially when, you know, my first experience, my first impression here is the tryout process, right? And talk about a difference. You're coming from college where you go out and you recruit and you hand select uh, the players that you want to be part of your program. But when you come to AAA or youth hockey, you have to pick your team based on who shows up on the ice for tryouts. And it might only be a two day process. And it is, it's hard, right? So one of the things that really stood out to me was how much the coaches care and and what we can't lose sight of is why we're all in this and at this level especially as a coach you are in it for the kids you're in it to impact lives you're in it to give back to the game and I saw that right away here um, when we had our trials we were fortunate to be able to do them all in one week um, we had probably two or three different teams a day trying out and all of the coaches stuck around they didn't have to but they helped with the other teams Meetings afterwards to pick the teams were, it was so hard to make, especially those last few decisions, because we're fortunate here where we ended up really at every age group, we're cutting kids that we actually want. It's not like we have to take kids that we don't want just because we got to fill a roster. We were fortunate that there was enough really quality hockey players here 
that making hard decisions, you end up not taking kids that you want. And little did those kids and families know that that's probably going to make them better because that's an adversity that they have to learn to deal with. And, you know, it's going to light a fire in their belly or give them a chip on their shoulder that's going to catapult them to a higher level than they probably could get to if they actually did make the team. That's all on how you handle it as a, as a kid or as a family that doesn't make the team. But boy, was I impressed with our coaches and their care level and just all of the attention and the detail that goes into making those, those roster selections. So it was exciting for me to be a part of it. It's very different. Um, I'm excited to learn and get to meet everybody here. And really, this is just about us trying to help these kids. And that's one of the things we had our parent meeting yesterday uh, with everybody in the organization. And in my opinion, just everywhere. So this is just a general comment. There's a disconnect between coaches and parents. And we need to make that better. We have to improve that. And and we just have to realize that we are all on the same team and we're in it together. And what we're in it for is to help your kids get better. And that relationship is so important. The way we communicate with each other, um, critical. Coaches, especially at the youth levels, you have to communicate with the parents. Parents should not be complaining or calling about power play time or line combinations. But when it comes to the, the, the development of your kid and how they're being coached and what the, the message is and what the lessons are, we're all in that together to help these kids grow. And the, the dynamic and relationship between parents and coaches, it's so important because there's not coaches don't get into coaching to take opportunities away from kids. Right. So we can't lose sight of that. Right there's not coaches out there trying to, you know, make sure this kid doesn't make it or doesn't reach his potential. No, not true. Um, but it's easier said than done. There's, you know, it, it's hard, but that's where the relationships come into play and you got to work together and you got to work together to, for the betterment of the kids. Yeah. So let me ask you this Trags, because I mean, we've talked about this before, but one of the biggest struggles that I have had as a hockey director is, you know, you talked about our biggest job is to get on the same page so we can help the kids grow. And that's exactly the kind of mantra that I want to set with our organization, what I want to talk about all the time, that the problem that I'm having and the, the tough things that I'm running into is a lot of the conversations that I'm having are not about the growth part of it. And I find it really funny. And I was having a conversation with somebody else about this today, how everybody's calling this year, it's going to be a development year right? Because we have COVID, we don't know how many games we're going to be able to play and, and all this kind of stuff. So everybody's touting this year as a development year. And I kind of laugh because I'm like, isn't every year a development year? Like, isn't that what it's supposed to be? That's, that's um, what saying too. Yeah. So, so uh, let, let me ask you the question, like as somebody who's really struggling to find a message and, and find a buy-in with that how important the growth is the on ice growth, the off ice growth. And as someone who's had way more conversations about where can this get my kid and what kind of exposure can I get? And it's always talking about the future and the next level and what can you do for me type stuff. How, how do hockey directors around the country who value what we value? Um, how do they go about getting people to buy into that? Because the parents, a lot of them want the, 
their kid to make it to the next level. A lot of other coaches and organizations are, are promoting that stuff. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing, but it's a lot more focused maybe than what I would put into it. Um, what kind of advice would you give to coaches to help people try and buy into a quote unquote development year every year? <laughs> it, I think it comes down to communication. Um, it's a crazy world, right? The, the youth sports world is, it's insane. Um, but you have to trust the process. Um, you have to be able to connect the dots to all of those things that we talked about before about what sports can teach you. And you have to focus on your everyday learning and your everyday development. So this is about bringing your very best every day within the model and the structure of your development system and your team and show up every day, get better, put in the work and recognize that everything that you do matters because if you are going to make it, everything's going to be looked at, right? So the way you communicate with each other matters. Your body language matters. The way you act in the stands as a parent matters. I'll say this, um, you know, as a, as a college coach, you're gonna look at everything or junior coach, whatever. If you're recruiting another level to try to select your players, you're gonna do your homework. And the hockey stuff's the easy part, watching who can skate well and make plays and think the game, like all the stuff on the ice is the easy part, but it's finding the right people, the right families, the right character. Cause all of those intangibles are what's going to put you, put you over the top and get you the right team that you want. And, you know, everybody is part of that discussion. It's not just the kids and the, the way they act on the ice and the, how good a teammates they are. That stuff is huge, but it's the parents too. You want the right families, the right people. So when you're screaming at the refs who, by the way, in youth hockey, the refs are usually kids too, or some retired person that just wants to get back on the ice because they love the game. And, you know, I guess we could use the, the referees as an example because coaches and parents and, man, talk about a tough job. Everyone seems to have something against the referees. But yelling at the refs in amateur hockey, not cool. Complaining about the coaches, up in the stands, not cool. I, I've talked a lot in different, you know, locker room talks um, and forums about recruiting. You, you go to the rink, you have a Sharpie, you have a highlighter. You're going to highlight the players you want, but equally important is that Sharpie that is going to tell you who you don't want and who you shouldn't be spending your time on. And sometimes you're sitting up in the stands and you're watching, you know, parents react or complain about this or that. And okay, oh, Sharpie right across that name. You know what the thing too is? There's nothing worse than wanting to highlight a player and having to sharpie them because of a body language thing oh, or just no. stupid stuff, right? Like you want to like, you see what they do on the ice and you get so excited by it, but then, you know, you hear about a character thing or you see them do something on the ice that just, that makes you just be yeah. like, no, not, not the right fit culture wise. That's the worst. And that brings me back to your question too, because we have to educate at the grassroots levels, levels and up and build those relationships and learn how to communicate with each other and work together for not just the betterment of the kids, but the entire family. Like we are all in this together and the communication and education, it's so, so important. And it has to start early because when you get to the levels of exposure and things are on the line and you're trying to make the next level, that's when you start to feel that pressure. But if you have a foundation and a culture and a, 
you know, an understanding already in place, then you're going to have a chance. And the other thing too, is we have to sometimes, you know, take a step back because we always talk about people complain. This is a negative world we live in, right? But the, the reality is, especially in our game, for every one person that's complaining, we have nine amazing families and great people. This game is blessed with great people everywhere. So there's far more good out there than bad. We just have to shine the, line on, the light on the good stuff and start, start to show that a little bit more as the examples rather than complaining about the things we need to get better at because there's plenty of positive examples out there that we should be talking about over the negative stuff because the game, like we just, that's the best part about it. We have the best people in our game. And I don't think that matters where you're from. It's like that everywhere you go. Vax, can you see how Trags and I have become best friends? <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Um, well, so what, what's, what's a couple of the biggest things that you've learned in, in taking over because I, and we've talked about this, both of us went into this wanting to learn and wanting to kind of take our time and, and really evaluate things that are going on. And, uh, and we've had this conversation, but I think it'd be a great conversation to have in, out in public now too. Like what, what are some of the biggest things you've learned from evaluating the process, um, getting into the youth hockey game and, uh, um, and have gone through, you've been doing it for a month or two now. So what, uh, what are a couple of things yeah. that you learned? Um, to be honest with you, um, I can't wait to learn more. It's been a little challenging just because we're so restricted. So it's like, I'm not really getting the full taste yet. We haven't even tryouts, you know, there's no parents in the building. People are getting dressed in the parking lot. We're following all of the, you know, the COVID protocols and being safe. And, you know, there's not, really locker room usage and it just we're so separate you step on the ice and the game is the game and that's where it seems normal um, but I can't wait to to the point where we're all back together in an ice rink and you know I can be around the chaos and and the pressure and and watch everybody you know love watching their kid play and go through it and that's where you know for me once I get to meet more of the people and develop some of the relationships and really start to identify what our needs are uh, in the areas where we need to get better um, we've done a lot of talking about that, um, just in terms of our culture and how we want to represent ourselves and, and how we want to lead the program. Um, but it's been really limited in just in terms of what we've been able to do so far. I know we're all going through the same thing. Um, so I'm still new to this and, and just, you know, it's tough for me to answer the question cause I haven't really got the, the opportunity to really dive into, you know, what the world normally looks like at this point, but hopefully that's coming soon. Yeah, for sure. Columbus is going to be the next, uh, the next St. Louis. You're going to have five first round draft picks in, in one draft coming up. Cause you guys have, you guys have great coaches too. Like you look at your coaching roster, a lot of guys that have played a lot of guys passionate about the game. I mean, you talked about the tryout process, how coaches were voluntarily helping other coaches when they didn't have to be there and, and uh, you know, donating their time. Like uh, you guys, you guys seeing maybe like uh, five, six years, a little bit of a St. Louis, uh, you know, Clayton Keller, Matthew Kachuk type draft or what? Here you go with the crazy talk now talking about first round picks. <laughs> don't, don't add fuel here, Toph. Um, I'm just but, trying to put the pressure on you because now the parents are going to uh, listen to that and be like, I'll, this guy I'll better freaking deliver. I'll punt that one. Um, <laughs> I will say this. One thing that's really stood out to me, Columbus is, is right in that uh, sweet spot right now where the Blue Jackets are 20 years old. And this happened in Pittsburgh. This happened in St. Louis. 
Um, it's happening really everywhere. We use the Austin Matthews example, but now you're starting to have people that played at the highest level, played for the Blue Jackets, uh, choose to call Columbus home, raise their families. They're starting to get their kids into the game. And those kids are now getting to the ages where they're getting into the AAA system. And again, I'm, I'm speaking AAA because that's the organization I work for, but this is really, it's about Columbus hockey and the hockey culture here, right? And we have a lot of those examples. Um, Rick Nash would be the best example because, you know, he's the poster child here of, you know, the first, you know, great hockey player that played for the Blue Jackets and um, was, you know, the first pick or high pick. And he's still here. He's just one example. There's so many others that around Feder Tutin is a, a coach in our program, doesn't even have kids to play, just wants to get involved because he loves the game and wants to give back. And there's so many examples like that. And when you have guys that have played at that level, have their kids involved in the game, you know, it makes the culture stronger. It makes the, the game grow. And I know that happened in St. Louis for sure, uh, happened in other areas. And, and hopefully we have that happening here too. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great organization. So we played against them a bunch last year with my 16th team and it's always like first class. Like you can see that the kids are coached. Well, they always had uh, an athletic trainer on staff, every tournament or, or trip we went on, they always had a girl on their bench who was there to help the kids, which is not the standard. Um, obviously there's money that, that goes into that, but it's just so cool to see that. Um, I'll actually stop you there because that's one of the incredible things. There's not money that goes into that. That is a, a trade and, uh, you know, it's a relationship that's in place here. We are so lucky to have uh, that staff as part of what we're doing. And, you know, they, they do that as a way to give back to us too. And it's part of their development. Uh, but Kirsten is, is the, uh, the girl you're talking about, the leader, and she has a staff that helps as well. And that's one thing, sorry to cut you off, Jeff, because that's one thing that's really stood out to me is the resources that are available. And that particular example is a relationship that's in place for the right reasons. And it's, I've been blown away by, by, especially right now with what we're going through, right? Health and safety is always going to be at the forefront, but I think we all realize that now more than ever. And it's been really cool to see that. So sure. And it goes back to it. It's something we talk about all the time on this podcast and has been kind of like the theme of this entire thing. It goes back to people and, and the coaching, right? I mean, Vex, you look at the St. Louis and, and, and the kids that have gone through there and who were they coached by? A lot of them were coached by Keith Kachuk and Jeff Brown and Basil McCray, who really, really cared and put a lot of time and effort, but they also had, the, you know, obviously the hockey knowledge to, to back it up too. And Trags, it's kind of what you're building there. A lot of those blue jackets that have, that have stayed and are getting involved and are passionate about it, whether or not they have a kid involved in it or, or not, as, as you're talking about with Fedor Tutin. So it's just like, it's, it's such an amazing thing. And, and this game is, is we talk about it all the time. It's, it does tracks. You hit the nail on the head. A lot of times we like to complain. A lot of times we like to highlight a lot of the negative uh, in our conversations on a day-to-day basis, but there is a lot of good things going on with this sport and uh, very cool to be able to highlight that on this podcast and highlight the cool stuff that you guys are doing there in Columbus as well. Yeah. And I can't wait uh, to return to normal here and, and get uh, some games against St. Louis teams and get to actually meet Jeff in person. Cause that's going to come here down the road sometime soon. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. We can reminisce on the Miami days where I got spanked. 
<laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Well, Trax, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, awesome to finally get you on here and uh, appreciate you. Appreciate your friendship. And uh, this podcast is going to blow up, man. There's a lot of great stuff for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of real talk about just the good that our sport has to offer. And, and uh, every time, every time we get a chance and every time I get a chance to talk to you, I get better and I get uh, uplifted a little bit. So appreciate that. And uh, I'm sure I will be talking to you soon. For sure. And the thanks goes to you guys uh, for all you do. Like I said at the beginning, it's amazing what you guys are doing and um, part of my routine to listen every week. So keep up the great work and thank you. Not a chance. Leave it down.